Are you not allowed to say anything to them when it's affecting your children? I know, I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 180 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. We must start today with a disclaimer. There is mention of suicide. Mm. So the other thing that's really interesting about 180 is that... It's half a 360. Many of us want to do a 180 in our relationships. (laughs) Okay, you've heard me say this, David. (laughs) I said, they did a complete 360. (laughs) Yeah, I have heard you say that. And I know what 360 degrees is. That means a complete turnaround. Okay. So is it somebody did a 180 or a 360? Or a pirouette. (laughs) (laughs) Or a whatever they're called. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how you want to look at it. I just know that what you're doing ain't working. (laughs) <laughs> no, so, yeah. but we need to figure out if it's they did a complete 180 or a complete 360. Um, you probably would want to do like a 90. <laughs> <laughs> because if you do a 180, you're going back in the same direction you came in. If you do a 360, you're going in the same direction you're going. <laughs> so you need to do something other than those two. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do a 45 or a 90 or 78 even. Well... I don't know the answer, folks. <laughs> we, I think we, uh, because I can see if you do a complete 360, you end up where you started. Mm-hmm. Or did you? You ended up where you started, but it's a different time. Or if so you it, do a 180, then you're only halfway changed. It's so confusing. Well, I say 360, and David corrects me every time. Well, you think about it this way, too, is if, like, if you did the whole to, you know, the next day is a clean slate. Every morning is a clean slate. You're yes. going to 360, right? Like you've went through an entire day. You're back to where you started as far as the day goes, but it's a completely different day. Okay. So we do have a blog about a clean slate, y'all, <laughs> if y'all want to go check that out. <laughs> so it's a 360 plus one. Yes. Version Whatever. two. No, stop, David. But what if it's a multiverse? And okay, so <laughs> we have people reach out to us occasionally asking, is there a podcast for blah, blah, blah? There's podcasts for everything. Yeah. That's if true. you want to search our podcast, you can go to nachokids.com slash podcast, and there is a search feature. And for instance, you can type in high conflict bio mom. You can type in childless stepmom. You can type in child free stepmom. You can type in whatever and see which podcasts come up. Yeah. In other words, if you send an email to me that says, can you recommend which podcast you talk about XYZ? My response to you is, I ain't Google. (laughs) (laughs) We put a search function on there for a reason. (laughs) You know, it's funny because in the beginning, when people would ask me about a specific podcast, I remembered. Yeah. Yeah. After 180 of them, 
No, you do the same thing that you want them to do, which is you go to your site and you search. <laughs> right. So y'all can do that. Yeah. Not that anybody's asked. So if you're feeling guilty, I ain't talking about anybody in particular. A lot of people have asked. Okay. Well, nobody's asked me. So but that's because people know better than to ask you. That's right. Cause I ain't Google. Cause that's what they know you will say. So here's a cool site. Have, you've probably seen this before. They, they, they shortened it up, but it was called let me Google that for you. And they, they shortened it to L M G T F U. Why? Oh, I did you. Um, so L-M-G-T-F-Y. So here's the cool thing about it. So go to that site. You type in whatever it is you're looking for, and it gives you a link. And when you send that link to somebody, it basically says, let me Google that for you. It's kind of a smart, elec way of saying, you could have done this yourself. <laughs> so I like using that. When somebody asks me a question about something that, they don't want to take their own time to search for, and they want to take my time to search for it. So I use that sometimes. Not not for people that are like in the academy and things like that. I do this mostly to like my employees who are asking me questions that they clearly can find out themselves, <laughs> but they just want to bounce it back. I'm so confused because when you go there, it takes me to... L-M-G-T-F-Y app, right? Yep. All right, so let's type something in. Okay. Let's type in Christmas trees, right? Mm-hmm. I hit enter and nothing happens. <laughs> no, you, you you don't hit enter. Oh, you hit search. But why do they have a search glass, but nothing still comes up? No, you don't. You hit get link. Oh, and it copies the link. Okay. And then you send them the link that it copied, which blah, 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 whatever it is. Now it comes up and it shows you this image, like video image kind of, of somebody going into the browser and typing it in. <laughs> and, it's, and it even tells you, like, type this here, then click search. <laughs> Okay, so see, don't go there, people. <laughs> no, there are people right now that are going. Holy, my, I am. I'm going to use this Monday morning. I don't because, get it. Why don't you just Google? That's the point. It's you're telling somebody else stop using me to Google stuff for you. <laughs> but in this thing, this thing makes them go to basically go to Google. And do the search. And you're going, okay, here's how you do it. You type it in here and you click search. <sighs> okay, I think I get it. So it's kind of a smart aleck app. Is that not what I said in the beginning? <laughs> I don't remember what you said in the beginning. I said it's a smart it's a smart aleck way of saying you could have done this yourself. Sometimes when I go back through these podcasts and I edit them, I hear you say something and I just don't even respond. And I find that interesting that I can tune you out so well when we're doing this. Because you'll say something smart alecky, and I just keep on trucking. Honey, it is not when we're doing this. It is every day. I have to be that way with you, or we go down 25 million rabbit holes. Why is that? Because you go down rabbit holes. 
Because I can talk faster than you can listen? That is not true, <laughs> David Sims. <laughs> All right. Tell us what we got going on today. I'm not telling you, meanie britches. All right, let me slow down. Tell us what we got going on today. Okay. <laughs> today, we have Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby. We were on her podcast, Love, Happiness, and Success. Those three things I definitely want. In this interview, we talk about bullying. I hope she talks about you bullying me. David. Okay, next. She's going to bully you. (laughs) People can only take so much for the love of Pete. (laughs) We talk about thinking patterns. Who's Pete? Why do you love him? You know what? I'm going to Google that. Let me Google that for you, David. (laughs) For the love of Pete, origin. Okay. I know y'all people don't care, but we're going to tell you anyway. So people ask, what does for the love of Pete mean? It is used to give added force to an angry statement. See, now you're angry. It says, some people say for the love of Mike. I don't know him either. I don't either. Well, maybe you should go and talk to Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby about your anger issues. Maybe you should go talk to her about your button-pushing issues. <laughs> sure. Okay. One of the most important things that we talk about in this podcast. Well, it's all important. But we talk about vetting a therapist. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic topic. Way too often we hear people say, I went to my therapist, and they told me I just need to love the stepkids more. Run out of that room, people. (laughs) Yeah. What you're doing is not working, so do it more. For therapists and counselors and whatever their title is, a lot of them do not understand the dynamics of blended families. Yeah. I mean, even within the marriage and family therapist uh, realm, I guess you want to call it, I mean, we talk about this in the interview. There's just a a lot of work that needs to be done. Yes, a lot. So if you're looking for help with your blend, vet your therapist. But also, you can join the Nacho Kids Academy. Mm -hmm. But I say that not saying that everyone has to agree with Nacho or the Nacho Kids method, but the Nacho Kids Academy is where you learn to do this properly. Because it's not being spiteful to your stepkids. It's not being mean to your partner saying, I'm going to dump all this crap back on them. It's That's not what it is. It's out of love. So vet your therapist. So do some work and vet a therapist before you just jump into going to meet them. Yes, we understand it's important if they're in your insurance network, if they're within a specific driving range, and all that. But think about this. And I mentioned this during the interview. I researched air fryers for 30 minutes, at least, before I bought one. Mm -hmm. But yet, I'm going to pick the closest therapist that's in network for convenience. That's the worst thing I could do. I need to find a therapist that specializes in what I need help with. Yeah. So again, please do the work to vet your therapist. Yeah. And the downside, and I believe we cover this too, but the downside is if you don't do that and you go to a therapist, if you and your significant other 
already have completely differing views. <laughs> <laughs> and the therapist is like, just love them more. And you're like, wait, what? And your partner's like, you see, told you. Exactly. Now your partner's like, you found the perfect therapist. And you're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. So do the vetting beforehand. We do have a link in the show notes that is an article on help with vetting a therapist. It's not blended family specific, but it can be tailored to such. Mm-hmm. Ask them if they have experience with blended families. Ask them what their views are on what the role of a step-parent should be. Ask them if they ever heard of nacho parenting. Yes. Ask them if they've ever heard of nacho kids' nacho parenting method. Yep, because there are more and more therapists out there that are, you know, finding this and they're recommending it because we're not we're not a replacement for what therapists are doing. We work hand-in-hand hand with that. So we have a lot of people that are in the academy and seeing a counselor or therapist. Right. And luckily, more and more therapists are jumping on board with the Nacho Kids Method once they learn what it is. That's true. That's true. Almost every time we see somebody who says something negative about it, almost always, they have no clue about it. <laughs> they, they've not listened to the podcast. They, they've not joined the academy. They've done very, very little research, but yet they got an opinion. I would say... If you're listening to this and you want to say something about Nacho Kids and have questions, reach out to us. We will tell you. But that's those the, people aren't listening to this. <laughs> that's the amazing thing. Like, we are super available, right? Super available. And you've got these people that do complete shows about Nacho, but yet never even reach out to say, hey, you guys created this. Let me ask you some questions. So I get it directly from the people. They created it. I mean, it's amazing how little that happens. Or someone will say, I wonder when the creator of this decided to create Nacho Kids, if they understood blah, blah, blah. Guess I'll never know. You can find <laughs> out. Yeah, just ask. Just ask. Again, we are super available. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Enough of that. But if you see something on TikTok, Rick Rock, <laughs> Flick Flock. Whatever the newest one is today. Whatever it is. That is not what you feel that nachoing portrays. Send us the link because I will contact that person and ask them to be a guest on our podcast. Yep. Because there yeah. ain't no shame in this game. No. And you don't have to agree with it, but no. let's have a conversation about it. Right. Which, by the way... I don't think we've had a single person <laughs> that's ever took us up on that. Well, a lot of these therapists that we have on here as guests reached out to us because they wanted to know more. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Right. So anyway, I'm done. With that. And it still doesn't mean you have to agree with it. That's completely fine. But at least you got the knowledge and the information to go with. And you can make an informed decision. Okay, so now you got me on this other topic already. <laughs> Maybe I am the rabbit hole person, but anyway. You are. You are beyond the rabbit hole. You're Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Somebody posted on our Facebook group and said, I do this. Is this not showing? And what it is, is if the kids make a mess, she'll go to her husband and say, hey, can you clean up the living room? And she doesn't stop there. She says, because I know little Johnny is really tired from baseball practice today and 
needs to rest and he has a lot of homework to do. And so the response that the bio parent is, oh, heck no, they can get up and clean it up, right? Mm -hmm. But the stepmom to the stepkids is, oh, look, she's trying to watch out for us and not make us clean up. No, she's not. She's playing games. (laughs) Okay, so again, the question was asked, was that nachoing? In the comments, the responses were, man, that's awesome. Some of them said, that's not nachoing, but if that works for you. And the reason that these people said it's not nachoing is because we say that if you're going to ask your significant other to clean up the mess, that you don't mention the stepkids. Right. So, David, I'm not going to tell you what my reply was. (laughs) What do you think about that when someone says they're aggravated because of the mess, they want it cleaned up, Mm -hmm. and they use the, is it reverse psychology maybe, (laughs) to get the bio parent to make the kids do it? Well, it's not even about the kids doing it. It's about getting it done. Right. But the way that it's done is because she knows the response is going to be, oh, heck no, those kids can get up and do it. Right. She doesn't just say, can you clean up the mess? And then him say, oh, little Johnny, come clean up your mess. She Mm -hmm. does the whole, little Johnny's tired. He had to get up early. He had baseball practice or whatever. So it looks like she's the superhero. Well, I would say that it potentially it may backfire at some point to where the kid goes, you're telling on me. I mean, I know you're trying to make it look all innocent, like you care, but you're really just telling on me. Well, I think it's a type of manipulation. Yeah, it's a fine line. But, right. I would, you know, one thing I like to tell people is keep your words to a minimum when you're dealing with certain things because the more you try to drag it out, the more the message is lost and the more likely it is you're going to say something that is going to spark a a fight. Just, you know, say a few things and that's it. You know, can, Hey, can you help me get this cleaned up or uh, whatever? But don't, yeah, we say don't bring the kids into it at all. Just don't even talk about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the kids left the dishes on the table. What matters is that there are dishes on the table. Right. And then you go to your significant other and you can say, can you help me grab those dishes off the table? Can you help me? Whatever. Look, they know. They might say, well, who left them there? And you could just say, wasn't me. You're still not saying who done it. (laughs) Right. You know, you you have to be very, very careful. Now, People have different relationships. So some people can say things like, uh, Johnny had a hard time and blah, 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 and he had a long day, and it might be okay. But that's still not nachoing. Because right. What, because what we want to do is we want to remove all of that to say the problem is there's dishes on the table, regardless of who's supposed to do it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And my response to her was, That's not nachoing, but if it works for you, go for it. Absolutely right. But this is sometimes where nachoing gets a bad rap because people will see a post like that and think, oh, she's wording it this way, so the dad fusses at the kids to clean up the mess. 
So right. it's again how nachoing can get a bad rap. And I whether she's doing that intentionally or not, you know, if she did it once and it worked, then of course she's going to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, but again, if it works for you, that's fine. But like you said, you've got to be careful because at some point, if you don't really mean it, and I think this was part of the discussion, she wasn't saying she didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to tell in text. Oh, of course. You know, so some people were like, you are being manipulative. You are doing reverse psychology. You are blah, blah, blah. We don't know. We don't know what your intentions are in your heart. Yeah, and I don't, I try to stay away from the word manipulate or manipulative because there's a very fine line between manipulation and influence. You're trying to influence somebody to do something is not necessarily a bad thing. Manipulation is very, very different. So I don't know that manipulation is what it is what's happening as much as it's, Hey, I found a way to influence somebody to get this done in a way that's not causing a fight. I don't have right. a problem with that. We influence people all the time with our words and our actions and things like that. Manipulating somebody is not something that we t- typically do. Hopefully I don't manipulate you to um, go where I want to go eat or whatever. I may influence your decision to go somewhere specific to eat, but I don't manipulate you to do that. Right. And again, she may not have been being manipulative, but she may have been. My thing is with it is this, it's causing the dad to fuss at the kids. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think that it, it could end up backfiring because right. because of how she's dragging the kid into it. Even in though that. it's not in a negative way from right. her standpoint. Right. Yeah. But again, if it works for you, honey, keep doing it. That's we're right. Just, we're just saying it's not, it's not the way we teach it. And right, it's not, and it's not nacho. It's not nachoing. So, but we we tell us to be a lot of time. If it works for you, fine. Don't say, but it's my way of doing nacho. No, it's not. It's your way of addressing that topic in your family. It is not your way of nachoing. Nachoing is a very specific process. Right. Okay, enough of that, folks. Let's get to listening to Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby. Today, we have Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby. Hey, Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby, how are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm so happy to be visiting with you guys today. It's great to have you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. So me and my background, I am Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby, and I like to tell people I specialize in love, happiness, and success. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a licensed psychologist, and I'm also a board-certified coach. So I do a variety of different things. I'm the founder and clinical director of Growing Self Counseling and Coaching. I am the host of the Love, Happiness, and Success podcast, and also the author of a book called Exaholic. Breaking Your Addiction to an Ex-Love. And I'm a mom. And a mom. And a mom. And a wife. Uh, So when do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) Rarely, actually. It's it's a problem. So I'm hoping we could talk about that on today's show. (laughs) Get your advice. (laughs) On how to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Lori has no problem with it. So she's going to help you pretty well. Yeah. I have no problem sleeping. (laughs) I admire that. Sometimes it's good. (laughs) Yeah. It's the way I escape reality. 
<laughs> so we were on your podcast recently as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of jump into a question that you had that came in on ours. So we'll go ahead and, and get to that before we dive into some other things. So maybe that, that might even take yeah. us down another path. So we'll see what that question is and go from there. Okay. That sounds fantastic. Yes. So we had the most fun conversation together a little while ago on, on my podcast. And then when we posted that episode on our, on our website, so sometimes, you know, people will leave comments at the bottom of the post and we had a, a listener reach out to say, what about when, and so in our interview, we talked about all kinds of different facets of nacho mm-hmm. parenting and you guys' stories and, and all the things. And so this listener uh, got in touch and said, what about when the stepchild's behavior or actions affect your bio children? Are you not allowed to say anything to them when it's affecting your children? I know, I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me because I wanted. I'm going to put a link back to your answer on on our website for this. That, person. that is a so. fact specific determination. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's a legal way of saying it. Just depends. <laughs> Well, basically, it's no different than if your child goes to daycare or school. They are going to pick up things from other kids. Granted, I understand that in the home, they're probably around this child that's misbehaving more. But you don't change Mm -hmm. your parenting. You still address the inappropriate behavior. If your child does something, you tell little Johnny, little Johnny, we don't act that way. And you don't say, like the stepkid, you don't Mm -hmm. add that part in there. But you just don't allow your kid to think that's acceptable behavior or appropriate behavior. And we have this issue a lot because the step parents are so afraid that the bio kids are going to pick up acting like little Johnny. Mm -hmm. They need to worry more about the kids at school, Hmm. (laughs) more than likely, because they can't correct the kids at school, just like they can't correct little Johnny. But what they can do when you're not showing is to address the concern with your child and just tell them that's not appropriate. You don't act that way or you don't do those things. And at some point that child's going to say, well, little Johnny does it. And that's when you had the discussion of I'm not little Johnny's mom. I'm your mom. And I decide how I raise you. Yeah. Okay. So then that would be a, a scenario if it's affecting your kids, like, you know, in, inciting uh, behaviors in them now, cause I'm not, fully sure if this question so affecting your kids so it could be like eliciting you know modeling unhelpful behaviors but what if the question is also if the uh, stepchild's behavior or actions is affecting the bio child like emotionally like if there's something happening that's feeling painful or distressing and so it's not like your kid is acting out now but like they're really having a hard right time, they're being hurt by those actions um, with something yeah like bullied even or i mean i don't even know so I'm, and i'm just making things up i i'm not quite sure you mm-hmm. know what the person's intention was with the question but how would you speak to that like i mean say it is a, it is a bullying right. situation mm-hmm. well i actually went through that with jackson the true mm-hmm. bullied him all your kids? No. Okay. All your kids, but one. <laughs> they were the triplets were five years older than Jackson, and Jackson wanted to be involved so much with what they were doing. But mm-hmm. there were times that they were mean to him, and it broke my mommy heart. 
And I just wanted to protect yeah. my kid and get him away from those evil stepkids. But what would happen is David would tell them, just leave him alone. Don't play with him. So then that excluded him. So I thought about it and I said, you know what? My sisters and I fought like cats and dogs. And those are some of the best mm-hmm. memories we had. But it also taught me how to take up for myself. So when something like that would happen with Jackson, I would keep my ears open, of course, and I would try to let him handle the situation. Now, granted, if they were Mm -hmm. physically hurting him or calling him horrible names or something like that, then I would intervene and remove my child from the situation. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, age has a lot to do with that, too. But Jackson, Mm -hmm. say he was five and they were 10, I would just say, come on, Jackson, let's go in here. Yeah. Something that I've also learned There were things that bothered me as a mom that they said or did to Jackson, and he didn't care. It didn't bother him like that. And Mm -hmm. recently, David and I were having a conversation with one of his kids, and he said, yeah, I remember going to school, and my mom would say, how are y'all doing or whatever, because she would take him to school. And he said Mm -hmm. they would bash Jackson. It was like a bash Jackson all the way to school. It made me sick. As a mom, you know how I'm talking. It just made me sick. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I talked to Jackson when I got home, and I said, do you remember that? I said, because it's bothering me. Not that I can change it. I said, but I'm thinking it's the morning. You're getting ready to start your day at school, and here you are hearing all this negative stuff about you. He said, I don't remember it. Mm. And I said, okay. Mm. And, I mean, he's told me several times, you care more about things than I ever have. So okay. sometimes we need to see, is this really affecting our child like we think it is? Or mm-hmm. is it just us jumping to the gun to protect them? But have open conversations with your kid about it because you always want your kid to tell you if somebody is bullying them. And you can teach them coping mm-hmm. mechanisms where they can tell the kid, that's not appropriate. You won't talk to me like that. And they can learn to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. good point that we don't see a lot of this these days is kids don't aren't allowed to develop those skills, the coping skills and things like that, because parents step in too quickly often. And mm-hmm. especially um, step parents. Yeah. Well, by parents, but the step kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's good. I mean, I can think back to some of the, the things even as a kid that I went through that you know, on the other side of it, I can look back and say, I learned a lot from this and it, and it really helped me to develop my own self-awareness and coping skills and all these other things. They weren't great situations for me to be in. And it would have been easier for an adult Mm -hmm. to step up and say, you know, get away from my kid. You're not going to do that. But, you know, back when I was young, all the kids in the neighborhood got together and they went somewhere and they played all day and they fought all day. And then, you know, you had, you had to learn where you were in this tribe and and where you fit, yeah. and sometimes fist fights broke out, and there was nobody there to stop it. But mm-hmm. you learned your pecking order, mm-hmm. and you learned how to cope with things, and you learn how to mm-hmm. to get people to do things you want them to do. And I mean, just all these socialization skills that you learn that way. Not that fist fighting is a way to learn those things, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment, when something like that's happening in your home, you've got you certainly got the thing that you need to do right away, which you know, potentially is removing somebody from the situation. And then you have the discussion with the parent later. You know, if you Mm -hmm. want to affect change, typically when a kid's acting out, the problem is not necessarily the kid. That's usually the symptom. The problem is parenting or lack Mm -hmm. thereof. 
And so mm-hmm. that's when you need to have that that discussion with the parent about expectations and you know for their kid and how they're acting. And that's a very delicate conversation yeah. to have with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, I could see how that's sort of a, a different piece of this. But, you know, I love that perspective that depending on the lens we have, you know, for our kids to be in challenging situations is a really great opportunity to help them develop resilience and to cope, help help coach them around how to manage some of these relationships. And also fantastic training in like how to set boundaries, you know, because boundaries aren't us preventing people from doing things. You can't set a boundary and be like, now you behave that way. Our setting boundaries is saying, if you do that, here's what I'm going to Mm -hmm. do, which could be leaving the situation, could be, you know, managing themselves accordingly. And I wish that more people learned how to do that earlier in life, to be honest with you, you know, so it's very important. So there, there could be a lot of yeah, good good opportunities, but but I also hear what you're saying. Like big big takeaways is like if if there is a weird situation, you need to be present, supervising them. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping an ear out. So that and, and depending on the age of the kid, I'm sure too. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of step parents that the step mm-hmm. kids have hurt or threatened to hurt the hours kid or the bio kid, and of course, our response to that is do not leave this child alone. With, you know, with right. the stepkid, because mm-hmm. God forbid you leave them alone for half a second, anything can happen. But we've had experiences anything. where the stepkid has threatened to kill the bio kid or the hours kid. And they're like, what do we do? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What do you do? You never leave that kid with the opportunity for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the stepkid needs counseling and you need to talk to the bio parent about that as well. Yeah, we, we've even had situations mm-hmm. where stepkids of opposite sex and sometimes even same sex, there's accusations of sexual misconduct. Sometimes it, it's there, sometimes it's not there. But when things like that happen, and you've got to take a, a very, very stern stance on, you know, what you're going to yeah. do. And oftentimes that means they're, they are never left alone with the other kid ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Safety. Yes. You never not your safety. Mm-hmm. Never. We did have one lady. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed with her. She said, I've taught my kid how to nacho. Mm. And I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, it's so funny because now when the stepkid says something or is mean to them, they say, you can act like that if you want to, but I'm not going to entertain it. And we'll go in their room. I'm like, awesome. Look yeah. at that kid. You're always training people. Mm-hmm. Even at our age, you're always training people how to deal with you, how to interact with you, what you will accept. You're mm-hmm. always doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I have a question for you. Oh, okay. I'm ready. So, and this isn't blended family related, but it could be. <laughs> mm-hmm. The word bullying. When I was growing up, that wasn't a word. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my sisters and I, we fought like crazy and we said some very hateful things to each other. And there were kids at school that... I don't. We didn't even use the word bullying. It was just they were mean. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that all of a sudden that's been labeled as bullying? And what's the difference in bullying mm-hmm. versus kids just being kids and being mean? Yeah, right. I hear you. You know, 
The way that I think about these lines and these differences, it's like the difference between somebody in a relationship being mean and sort of saying hateful things and not doing nice things all the time. There's a difference between that and domestic violence or intimate partner violence, where there is power and control, there is abuse, there is really damaging kinds mm-hmm. of things. And, and there's also a component of like helplessness, I think. And so I think that there is a real difference between kids being jerkoids, mm-hmm. right? Because they can all, you know, have feelings and they, they don't know how to have relationships yet. And so people say mean things, or I think also sometimes feelings can get hurt just by the virtue of you know, friendship dynamics. Like if you're friends with somebody who's now closer to another friend, maybe you're not getting invited to things like that can feel very wounding, making fun of other kids, like, right. That is a patently different experience. I think for kids who are having a a bullying kind Mm -hmm. of episode at school, which is incredibly traumatizing. They often feel a lot of helplessness, horror. There's almost like an orchestrated effort to be damaging to mm-hmm. that kid. There are power and control components, and it can be very serious. I mean, there are children who who kill themselves in response to yeah. this or have to change schools to escape mm-hmm. it. I mean, there can be violence at school, and there can also be emotional violence that can be extremely damaging to kids. I mean, I, I've had clients who are, you know, in adults, they're in their 30s, and they are still processing the trauma of some of these early experiences, not through from their families, but from some of the things that they experienced at school mm-hmm. through this kind of bullying. So I, I think that there's a qualitative difference, but I also do think that it's important to kind of sit down and and, and try to understand what is going on, but also how is your child subjectively experiencing mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack. There is, there is but that's yeah, a good explanation. Curious and, mm-hmm. and yeah, being curious. For me, the biggest point of what you said is power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when my sister and mm-hmm. I fought and she would call me names, oh, I had the power to snap back at her and call her names. It, and not that she That's never right. hurt my feelings, but I never felt like she controlled me. Mm-hmm. Kids nowadays, like you said, commit suicide because they are bullied. Oh, yeah. And it's so sad. And they, the parents, of course, beat themselves up. Because they didn't see it happening or see it coming. Mm -hmm. But the kids, that's why it's so important to have open conversations with your kids and pay attention to them. I can Mm -hmm. tell if something's wrong with my son. He doesn't have to say a word. Mm -hmm. Another problem that we have today that you and I didn't have to deal with is that when we had bullying or or behavior like that in school, it stopped at 3.30 when school was over. Oh uh, no! You know, typically, no. my sister and well, I'm not girls talking got, about gotten fights not, off after the school bus, drop <clears> them off. <laughs> but and it was and it was really isolated to your friends at school for the most part. Now it's mm-hmm. it follows you home. It's on social media. Yeah. It goes out to everybody that's yep. connected to you. Yeah, it, it it doesn't stop. Right, you're right. Good point mm-hmm. because you could spread a rumor at school, and it's only going to get so far, especially in a day. Yeah. Whereas now. It can spread to the whole school in 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and and I think that that's another thing that it does have in common with that sort of a, a domestic violence or abusive dynamic is because when you think about a, a kid who's really being bullied, the vulnerability there is isolation. So it's often not, you know, one kid being a jerk. It's like, 20 kids in a pack. It feels like everybody and the child who is his being abused is often very alone. There are social dynamics that happen in these situations where it's like one kid is getting singled out by abuse from multiple people. And you bring up a great point about the social media component kind of intensifying that, particularly if things are getting shared and it's it's just awful. So I, I hope that that discussion helps kind of you know, differentiate like, yeah. Yeah. And I think people on social media as well, they, you know, we call them keyboard warriors or whatever you want to call them, but it's they're behind that keyboard. They have a completely different demeanor and a different, you know, they don't Mm -hmm. mind attacking people because it's, it's a faceless thing kind of, you know, if you're sitting, they're not worried about getting their butt kicked. (laughs) Yeah. But, but it's also, you don't view the person, you don't view the person as a person. They're an avatar. Or whatever, and so you don't yeah. have that same reaction. It, you know, it's almost like mm-hmm. if you're playing a video game and you and you hurt this person on a video game. It's okay. It's not real, and so a lot, pixels. You know, sometimes yeah. people don't take that. It's like, oh, it's just an avatar of their picture on Facebook. It's not like I'm really hurting them. I've I've had people say mm-hmm. things before, not related to bullying, but. It was something that was actually related to somebody releasing some private healthcare information on Facebook. And no. and the response they gave me when I said, you can't do this, was, it's just Facebook. Like, this is not the real world. It's just made up. I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like people can't separate the Interesting. two. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's much, much harder to not have empathy for people, you know, when in, in real life, it's much easier to dehumanize and be vile to people if they're not quite real. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID made that worse. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of took away that yeah. human interaction a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. also, I know we're going down a different path here, but it's also when mm-hmm. you when you label people, I'm not mad at that person, I'm mad at that label. And we do that a lot when we're talking about politics and, you know, all those mm-hmm. Democrats, all those Republicans, and, you know, mm-hmm. they're dumb, they're blah, blah, you know, whatever. And you get so hyped up about that yeah. label that you've put on somebody. Mm-hmm. If I walked up to somebody and said, oh, I'm a Democrat, then all that Democrat labeling comes down on you. Oh, you're stupid. You're this, you're that. And I'll, it's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. <laughs> or if you say you're Republican, oh, you're a redneck, gun-toting. <laughs> yeah, but but it's, you know, it goes beyond politics, but a lot of people can get very polarized by politics, so I bring that up. But there's tons of different mm-hmm. labels that people put on others, but they do that. Well, part of, of the, the reason they do that is because it makes it easier to then be mad at that person or to treat them a certain way because they, they're not that individual person anymore. They're a group of people you don't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, and, and, and on, on the, the, the topic, you know, that is also something that 
often happens in family dynamics and with stepkids. So certainly, you know, social media, it's much easier to dehumanize people. And I think we're all vulnerable to these algorithms who that show us like the most extreme things that are going to activate us. And that's part of how these, these narratives develop, you know, these stories. And it's also very true that in family systems, when regrettable things have happened, these really negative narratives will begin to take hold. That is a bad kid, or they're a bad parent, or there are character flaws that are causing the problems, or, you know, that we start telling ourselves very negative stories about who other people are and why they do the things that, that they do. And the narratives that we tell ourselves can actually become a barrier to having better relationships with people because we we tend to the, view everything through the filter of what we're telling ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, there's a, a psychological phenomenon. It's a fundamental attribution error, right? That so when we do things that are, passive aggressive irresponsible maybe mean you know say say hurtful things we are able to see our own behavior as being justified and within reason because of xyz well you know they were doing this like that's our narrative of ourselves but when other people do the same things we don't see their context. We just see the behavior. And it's very easy to judge and attribute the the mean or unhelpful things that they're doing as being like because of their character right. or because of these other things that makes it much easier to kind of develop this negative mindset. And that happens in families. Yes. Mm-hmm. It really it does. does. Like good kid, bad mm-hmm. kid. People can do that with their partners, with their exes. Like it can be really hard. Yeah. I mean, part of the... Yeah real success of dealing with things, especially in a step family, is learning mm-hmm. that you do tell yourself a story. And sometimes I've mentioned that to people and they go, no, I don't do that. Like little Johnny does this and my reaction is this. It happens in a split second. I said, yes, but you still tell yourself a story. There's mm-hmm. still a narrative there. Right. You know, he walks in and he he throws his book bag down and you're immediately going, that disrespectful little brat, when he has nothing to do mm-hmm. with that, because you filled in all the blanks of what that story is immediately. And if people can learn how to change the story they tell themselves, mm-hmm. then it changes everything about what's going on around them. Well, and understanding why they have that story that they tell themselves. Mm-hmm. When you gave that example a minute ago, David, I'm thinking... That person is thinking, when I was a child and came in and threw my book bag, I was mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was upset. And so that's a lot of times where we see things is through the mm-hmm. story of how we grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as a step parent, it's yeah. like, I've already asked him one time or 12 times not to drop his book mm-hmm. bag on the floor. And he done it again. He's disrespectful. and he, He's doing know. it on purpose to push my buttons. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. may be true. But there's a lot of times it's not. It's just a matter of what, you, mm-hmm. what you're telling yourself. I can't remember if we talked about this when we were on your uh, podcast. But in the Not Your Kids Academy, we have a Change Your Stinking Thinking course. And it is my favorite. Now, I love the Not Your Kids Boot Camp, too. But the Change Your Stinking mm-hmm. Thinking, I enjoyed putting that course together because mm-hmm. I did a lot of research and 
just put a lot of facts in there. And it's just amazing how much our minds can lie to us. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking with couples that we've worked with, they mm-hmm. sit at the kitchen table and their focus is waiting for little Johnny to screw up. Like they're mm-hmm. just waiting. Like a cat on the prowl, just waiting to pounce <laughs> when little Johnny mm-hmm. smacks his food, you know, doesn't hold his drink right, whatever, so they can point it out. And I think that as step parents, we feel the need for some reason to inform our significant others that their kids are not angels. And we have to prove that to them for some reason. And we don't. They know it, but they don't want to admit it. Just like I don't want to admit that my son would ever do anything wrong. (laughs) I'll tell you. But (laughs) when we sit there and that's our focus at dinner is what the stepkid's doing wrong, you've got to regroup. You have got to Mm -hmm. figure out why is that your focus? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to get the kid punished or like, what's your main goal with this? And Mm -hmm. instead, focus on your relationship with your significant other or with your own kids, whatever it may be. And if you find yourself that you can't have dinner without thinking about what's little Johnny going to do, what can I, you know, point out that he's doing wrong, go Mm -hmm. eat dinner by yourself Mm -hmm. because you're not benefiting anybody, Mm -hmm. even yourself, because those negative thoughts will eat you alive, and they are so easy to spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. I find it so interesting that you can convince yourself you climbed Mount Everest. Isn't that crazy (laughs) to think that that's the power that your mind has, that you can convince yourself you've climbed Mount Everest, and you've never been there? Mm -hmm. But we convince ourselves of crap all the time. 100%. 100%. And and there's there's a ton of, of research to support this. So, you know, cognitive therapy is one of the, the most well-researched, kind of the, the gold standard of, of therapeutic modalities. And there's a lot of utility in coaching as well. And that's exactly what it does is that it helps address thinking patterns, the stories that we're telling ourselves. And it's it's well known that certain ways of thinking about things will very reliably create feelings of anger, anxiety, upset. And, by, and the hard part is that they're often so automatic or even subconscious. So we don't know that we're even having right. thoughts. We're just sitting there and then all of a sudden we're having a feeling mm-hmm. and not even aware that there was a thought in between there, you know? And so to be able to unpack that and try to understand what am I telling myself right now that's making me feel mm-hmm. this way or or making me motivated to take this stance in the relationship. And so you can go a lot of ways there. But the other thing I will say, you know, as a family therapist, because family therapists are, are different than other kinds of therapists and that we're trained to see things systemically, meaning that, you know, we're we're all reacting to things that are happening in, in our mm-hmm. environment. Like people react to each other and then it kind of turns into this feedback loop where one reaction creates another reaction, creates another reaction. And those can go in positive directions or negative directions. And so, you know, one of the things that I would be curious about with that, the adult sitting at the kitchen table waiting for a little Johnny to like, you know, spill his milk or something is, what's it like to live with you? (laughs) 
I can tell I mean, you I it's bad. I hope that's okay to say. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yes. Like where, what is going on in the emotional climate at that dinner table where the adult is like very focused on little Johnny and what they're doing or not doing, but like, what is little Johnny actually feeling about sitting at the dinner table with an openly hostile adult that is making him feel very uncomfortable and emotionally unsafe in his own home? Mm -hmm. Like that needs to also be part of the conversation because without that, it's very easy to be like blaming people and not taking responsibility for oneself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't like alienate like 90% of your listeners no, by saying that no. out loud. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that at some point I was there. And that's like my Facebook group. People will say, why do you let these people in your Facebook group that say they hate their stepkids? Because I was that person. Totally. Yeah. So I know that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. when that was my focus. And when I say that, I'm not dismissing that their behavior was perfect or anything, but how I was looking at things was not mm-hmm. healthy. And it wasn't where if the kids did something wrong, I would necessarily say anything to them, but I would look at David. And then if mm-hmm. he didn't react the way I expected him to, then I would be mad at him. So all I did was put tension in our relationship that was Mm -hmm. unnecessary because, again, my focus was, what can I do to show David these kids are not angels? Mm -hmm. And really, I think that that boiled down to the fact that I was struggling in this blend and I wanted to blame it on somebody else. Yeah. I hear you. But, you know, you were also having a reaction, right? Because you're part of the system too. And so you're having these experiences and creating feelings. And I think what I might be hearing in, in the story, it's like, you know, by looking to to David and how is he going to respond? It, it, the meaning there is, is he going to validate mm-hmm. me? You know, am I important to him? Is he prioritizing our relationship? Like, there's really a lot there. It's it's like, am I loved? Am I cared for? And I think that that also needs to be part of the conversation because it's very real and true, right? I I think that sometimes we forget how uh, vulnerable step parents can feel when they're with a parent and their children, you know, this, this outsider, this interloper. And it's, a, I think that that's vulnerability is what drives a lot of, of the uh, emotional right. stuff that happens. I'm just sitting there. I'm yeah. just sitting there trying to eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what but, was happening. But you, but you were secure. <laughs> you, you were the, the, the dad with three four. kids. And so yeah. four, that's right. Four kids. And so, in that family system, you and your children had a lot more power than Lori and her one little child. Like they were outnumbered. Yes. And it makes a difference. Yeah. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that you were creating that on, on purpose. Yes, he was. But. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's one of those things where you know, when you're when your own kids do certain things. That are, I'll say, annoying because there's there's a difference between mm-hmm. bad behavior and annoying, and and sometimes mm-hmm. 
we hear people say, my stepkid annoys the mess out of me. That's different than bad behavior. But they're, you know, my kids do something and Lori's like, oh my gosh, it just annoys me to death. And I'm like, oh, my sweet little kids, you know, it's so yeah. fun. Look at them hitting each yeah. other. I love it when they jump up and down on the fire truck. They're having so much fun. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, they're tearing everything up. <laughs> totally different meaning yeah. from the exact same thing. No, wall, I remember that was so fun when we did Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that has happened. There's all of a sudden there's a hole in the wall. <laughs> A hole in the wall, not a little tiny like pinhole. I'm talking mm-hmm. like somebody's head in the wall. <laughs> and I'd say something to David, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's been there a while. <laughs> they must have covered it up with something. You didn't see it, but it's yeah. been there a while. That, I, they I'll were playing, it. and yeah. Mm-hmm. And to him, it's like no big yeah. deal. Just and I'm like, oh my god, there's a hole in the wall. It's just sheetrock. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's something we learned too that things that I felt were disrespectful. David mm-hmm. didn't when it was his mm-hmm. kid. And the same with my kid. So, for instance, if I say Jackson and he says what, it doesn't bother me. It's Well, some days it does. <laughs> you know, you have those days you're like, you say yes, ma'am to me. What's he supposed to you say? You say ma'am. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. And whereas if David hears Jackson say what, David's thinking, well, that's disrespectful. But what he's considering disrespectful and I consider disrespectful may be two different things. So a lot of times, as a step-parent, we're expecting a bio-parent to react or better yet Mm -hmm. respond to things that we feel are inappropriate that they don't. Absolutely. Yeah. That's another thing. So, you know, as as a family therapist, what we'll often do is is with any couple, I mean, not just like a step-family situation, but many times with with couples in conflict, uh, don't even realize that there are very significant, even cultural differences between the two mm-hmm. that can create so many hurt feelings because I think it's very easy to assume that other people are like us. They think like us, our set of core beliefs and life experiences are just true and normal. And it's like, you know, that proverbial fish swimming in a fish tank, like they don't know that they're swimming in water. They've just been in it in their whole life. And it's until you go into a different tank and you're exposed to a different culture, different ways of thinking, different values that are very much a product of each of our individual families of origin. When you come together as a couple, even much less a step family, we're carrying all those things with us and then surprised and often dismayed when our partner doesn't, you know, see the same thing that Mm -hmm. we do. Like David, it sounds like there were moments that were just completely invisible to Mm -hmm. you uh, because they would not have registered as being a problem based on your kind of value system coming into this. And that's an extremely common dynamic in every family. Yeah. And I would say the cultural thing, you know, because initially when you say things like cultural difference, you kind of you're kind of mm-hmm. thinking, OK, somebody's a different race or they're a different part of the country or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, especially in the South, I mean, you could be the same race and from the same town, but still have a different, very mm-hmm. different culture. You know, because oh, we yes. talk about that a lot in business where there's the, it's the culture of the organization. It's the mm-hmm. same thing in families. What's the culture of your family? And so the culture of my family, you know. Previously, and it could have been from mm-hmm. my, my parents or it could have been from my divorced, you know, a first family, the, the bio mm-hmm. family, but all these different cultural things come into play. And, and then it oh, yeah. creates a very different thing. And, you know, how Lori was mm-hmm. raised very different than me. And it was only, you know, 30 mm-hmm. miles apart. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we're, 
Mm-hmm. We're raised very differently. So it's a different culture of family and family values. Yeah. My younger yeah. sister was raised differently mm-hmm. than I was in the same house. That's, that's true. I mean, yeah. So that brings me to Mm -hmm. another point. (laughs) (laughs) We deal with this a lot with fairness. The bio parent or the step parent, whoever, is not fair to all the kids the same. Mm -hmm. And fair does not always mean equal. Mm -hmm. Just because little Johnny got a new pair of shoes doesn't mean little Susie needs a new pair of shoes. Or just because the 10-year-olds can go spend the night somewhere doesn't mean that it's appropriate for the five-year-old to do it. But I think with step families that people get so hung up on that things have to be fair Mm -hmm. that it really does cause a great divide because they look at it as you are treating my kid differently. You are treating Mm -hmm. them less than. Well, no, Mm -hmm. I just got Jackson a pair of shoes because he needed them. I didn't think I need to go buy your four kids' shoes. So I know growing up, my parents, like I said, I've got two sisters. One's five years older, one's five years younger. And my older sister's passed away. But things weren't the same with us. My older sister struggled in school. If she made Mm -hmm. a C, it was hallelujah, praise God. (laughs) That was me. (laughs) (laughs) If I made a 98, it's Lori. What's wrong? (laughs) And so there were these different standards set for us. Mm-hmm. Was it yeah. fair? As an adult, I say yes. And the reason I can say yes as an adult is because they knew that school was easier for me than it was her. Mm-hmm. They were measuring mm-hmm. you against yourself, not you against right. your sisters. Right. Whereas as a child, I'm thinking, what the crap? <laughs> Dawn comes in with a C and it's let's get a cake. <laughs> <laughs> I make a 98 on an exam and it's, what's wrong with you? Can you not focus? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the beating up with the 98 was on myself because I wanted that 100. I wanted to know what I did wrong. Yeah. Whereas Dawn, my older sister, she was more like, well, it's passing grade. I don't care if it was a D. And so mm-hmm. even in the same house, things are different in a bio family. Mm-hmm. But it's yes. more accepted than when it's a step family. We put so much pressure on step families to be above and beyond what even a bio family is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you, you bring up a good point that there's a big difference between equal and equitable. And and in equitable, we are we are looking at the the context, the unique circumstances of what's going on. And, and using that to make kind of thoughtful decisions about what's appropriate in that situation. And you're completely right. Like to have everything exactly the same for all people that, that doesn't make Mm-mm. sense when you look at the circumstances. Right. And so I think that, you know, coming at this as from a, a therapist's perspective, I think that why these things become so fraught in step families does it have to do even with the equal, you know, that everybody's slice of cake is exactly the same and we're going to get out the calipers and make sure <laughs> yes. they're all totally equal, right? It's it's not that. And with every relationship, when, when people are getting activated about things like this, it has nothing to do with the cake or the shoes. Tell me about, is it hurt? Is it fear? 
what's going on that is related to this feeling. And it can take a, a process of unpacking, you know, over numerous sessions, but I particularly like one modality called emotionally focused couples therapy that really takes a look at the emotional reactions that people are having. And so, you know, hypothetically, somebody who is having a reaction to you're not treating my kids fairly over a period of time, that kind of therapy can help people crack into their attachment bond. And oftentimes when those feelings are coming up, it's because they're not feeling secure. They're feeling worried that their partner doesn't care about their son or daughter in the same way that there are feelings of like longing, like wanting to be together, wanting to be a family, and a lot of fear that that's not what this is. Wondering again where those allegiances and alliances are. I mean, I think at the core of all of us, it's human nature to have a secure attachment, right, to, to the people that we love. And, and the question in there is, can I count on you? Are you there for me? And if my child is really an emotional extension of myself, can my child trust you? Are you there for my kid? Do you love my kid? Because if you don't, I don't know about this anymore. I mean, it, it creates a real emotional bind, mm -hmm. right? So so then people are hypervigilant about the equal slices of cake. That, that's not what we're talking about. It's about these fundamental security issues. And I think that when, you know, in therapy, when we're able to have conversations and bring these things out and really help people have bonding experiences that helps their relationships become more secure, whether, you know, the, the other stuff turns into the dust that it always was, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Does that oh, make it makes sense? perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you say to people? Because you, ma you made a comment about, you know, if you don't love my kid, I'm not sure about this. There's a different level of love oftentimes when it comes to mm -hmm. how I feel about my stepkid or how a step parent mm -hmm. feels about her stepkid. Sometimes it's, mm -hmm. I don't like them at all. I don't even love them at all. Yeah. I don't care nothing about them. And then other times it's like, yeah, I mean, I love them, but not like my own. Mm -hmm. And then you mm -hmm. got some people, some bio parents that often say, I expect you to love my kid like you love yours. How how do you address that? You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently, you don't. <laughs> apparently, you don't have blended family experience. That's when I say, apparently, you're not a parent. Well. <laughs> well. Well, I mean, I, I I understand and I agree with what you're you're saying that the that expectation is probably misguided. But but I think it's also really important for people to be talking about this because I think that that's the dream, right? I mean, many people who divorced or you, you know so and end a relationship for one reason or another and have a child involved, there can be so much guilt, I think, and pain about, okay, so I wasn't happy in that relationship anymore. But even though I, I feel better, my kid's family also disintegrated and that there can be a lot of feelings around that. And so I think one of the, the fantasies and the hopes is that in remarrying and creating a new family, that that, that family unit will be restored 
in some ways. And I think that people don't always talk about this openly. They might not even be fully conscious of it, but I think that that's, that's that hope mm-hmm. that even though the original family broke up for whatever reason, we're going to get a second chance. And then my child will have this relationship with a, with a, a person, you know, who hopefully will either replace or maybe even be a better version mm-hmm. of their parent. And, and that is not what, it's not realistic and and it really isn't and i think i think that it can be actually very painful and and having to go through a grief Mm -hmm. process for people to kind of come to to terms with the fact that in the absolute best case scenario most of the time in a blended family situation there will be a a fondness and an affection and a warmth between a step-parent and a stepchild not that like ferocious love that you have for your biological child. And and I know that that some situations are different and that kind of love can grow over time. But I think that that is the exception. Yes. That is not the the, the norm. Right. You know? Before you started talking, I actually wrote down guilty parent mm-hmm. syndrome. Because oh, guilty parents that, syndrome. Yeah. That's a much more succinct yes. way. <laughs> because uh, that drives us right. as parents a mm-hmm. lot of times. That's and right. then you mentioned grieving. And we had we yes. were part of the Step Family Summit this year with Claudette Chenevere. And part mm-hmm. of the VIP package was I did, I think it was a five-day, uh, no, it was a seven-day grieving your step family. Because what you're mm-hmm. actually doing yeah. is grieving what you hoped would be a nuclear family. And I yes. really feel like that once people let go of those nuclear family expectations, life Mm -hmm. becomes so much easier, so much more enjoyable and so much less stressed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. But you have to go through a process Mm -hmm. of, of redefining what your family is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. we all go into even our, we'll say nuclear family or first family, because sometimes it's both traditional. Yeah. But we go Mm -hmm. into it with these expectations and then we share those expectations with the person, you know, typically uh, when when we decide we're going to start, you know, talking about marriage and we talk about what the expectations are and what it's going to look like. And so there's there's oftentimes everybody's kind of going in the same direction. In a blended mm-hmm. family, you're coming in and, and you still have whatever the expectations are that you created before. And this other yeah. person has expectations and you may still talk about them. And like Lori and I, mm-hmm. we had... I would say 99%, if not 99.9% of our expectations were the same, at least on paper. Mm-hmm. But what we yeah. what we weren't prepared for, as much as we tried, we weren't prepared for the differences mentally and emotionally. We were prepared for the physical differences, but not the mental and emotional differences. And, and that's where we mm-hmm. made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, we took, before yeah. we got married, we took a hundred question test or a quiz or questionnaire, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we had one answer that was different. One. Yeah. Like a premarital yeah. counseling. And we're like, oh, kind yeah, of we got yeah. this. We got yeah. this. But it was <laughs> not for a step family. Yeah. Yeah. And we laugh now talking about it because I've got guilty parent syndrome. And he does too. Mm. And if we had a kid together, that kid would be walking a tight rope. I can <laughs> promise you. Mm-hmm. And often we see this in step families where, say, for instance, the dad 
treats the hours kid differently and is tougher and more strict on the hours kid. Mm-hmm. And then the stepmom is saying, well, he needs to be that way with his other kid. Well, just be glad he's that way with your kid. You can't change the relationship he has with his first bio kid, mm-hmm. but you've complained about how he treats that kid and he's treating your hours kid the way you want him to treat the step kid. So be thankful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that made any sense. I feel like mm-hmm. I needed a flow chart for that. Oh, no, no, I totally get it. And, it. and it goes back to that that equitable idea that, you know, even emotionally, there's a different context around the children in the home who who came from in from the, the previous mm-hmm. like family mm-hmm. unit that it, it feels different emotionally and and the way that that we uh, you know behave uh is is a direct result of that a lot of right. times mm-hmm. we yeah. see it a lot and i know i'm where hmm. the step parent almost views the step kid as a visitor in the home mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they kind of feel uncomfortable when the step kid comes for whatever reason it could be because the step kid runs back and tells the other bio parent stuff that happened in the other home or for whatever reason, and we see it again, we see it all the time where it's if there's rooms that, oh, well, the step kid doesn't need a room, room of their own because they're only here every other weekend. I completely mm-hmm. disagree with that. Mm-hmm. That child needs to feel like that's their home too. I don't care if they're there one day a month. Now, granted, I know some people can't have a room for every child. I mean, we, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. David's kids were all bunched up there for a little bit. But... You don't need to treat that kid like it's not their home. And one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm coming from the step-parent point of view, and especially in my Mm -hmm. Facebook group, somebody will say, my house, my rules. (laughs) And I say, where does your husband live? Or where does your partner live? Well, he lives here too. Well, guess what? It's his house. And it's his kid's house. And if you are of that mentality of it's mine, it's mine, it's my way or the highway, you're not going to just struggle in this relationship, but you're going to struggle in any of them you get from this point forward. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to compromise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the highway is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do know that Mm -hmm. when we first started talking, we were talking about how a lot of therapists – don't understand blended families and they give wrong advice. Yeah. So what would you say to a step parent that goes to a therapist to get help? Well, they go with the bio parent most of the time, but they go to get help and they just feel like that this person doesn't get it. That the Mm -hmm. therapist is saying, you just need to love them more. You need to treat them like your own. You need to love them Mm -hmm. like your own, whatever. Yeah. How how do you vet the therapist? Yes. <laughs> that is such a good question. And I'm glad that we're talking about this because unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who are seeking services and really need them who who don't know how to vet a therapist because it's not just not discussed in our mm-hmm. culture. And so one thing that is really important to know is that there are big differences in the kind of training that therapists have to attain different kinds of licensure. So for example, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also a licensed psychologist. So, you know, Dr. Lisa 
sounds fancier. And (laughs) the reality is in that doctoral program, I learned almost nothing about marriage and family therapy. If that doctoral degree was all I had, I would not be qualified to provide marriage and family therapy at nearly the level that that I I am as, as a marriage and family therapist. And so we have licensed professional counselors, licensed clinical social workers, licensed psychologists who have zero to minimal training in couples and family therapy. And there is no regulation against them hanging a shingle and being very mm-hmm. happy to see couples, families, step families. Nobody's going to stop them. So the first thing that I would advise listeners to do is to look for a marriage and family therapist who will have training in the kinds of systemic theories that we've been talking about today different modalities of couples and family therapy and and a real like relational experts. There's a lot of attachment theory in there. So look for that first. But unfortunately, even, even in my profession, I mean, you know, going through counseling school, primarily marriage and family therapy is around that traditional nuclear original family. And so that's, that was the unspoken assumption, like in a lot of classes. I didn't learn specifically about step-family dynamics until after graduate school and really like now interacting with families that are having a lot of the experiences that we've been talking about. And so, you know, wound up doing some postgraduate education and training there. But so what I always advise people and like what we even do at our our practice, Growing Self, it's like if there's a marriage and family therapist who's interested in, in joining our team, do a lot of interviewing and like case vignettes. And one of them is a blended family situation. And I am always shocked and and truly disappointed when they are attempting to conceptualize and say, okay, so here's how I would help this couple in exactly the same way that they would if it was two parents with kids, because this is such a different Mm -hmm. situation. So what I would really be looking for is a therapist who understands that there is a different dynamic in step families, a different kind of relationship than a traditional parenting relationship. And there are a whole different set of circumstances and issues and feelings and things that need to be managed. So it's very, very important, I think, for anybody when you're looking for a therapist to assume that you're going to need to interview a few people Mm -hmm. and schedule hopefully a first free consultation. It should be so. And that is an opportunity to interview a therapist and make sure they would be a good fit for you. I would never flip through the online and Oh, great. They're close to our house and they have a 7 PM appointment. Great. We got a therapist. Let's do it. Like that is not a good idea. Schedule free consultations with like five of them and say, you know, tell us about your experience in working with blended families Mm -hmm. and, and like, wait for the answer in situations, like give them a five minute version. Here's kind of a a quick summary of what we're going, it's going on with us. Here are our goals in your experience. You know, what, what would you sort of advise as the course of action, right? Like, how do you imagine this unfolding? Mm -hmm. And if they can't give you an answer that sounds coherent, if they're like, well, you know, processing, and there's a lot to unpack (laughs) here and, and aren't really talking about specific relational dynamics and, and helping you feel reassured that they can be qualified and helpful to you. I I would move on to that next person. Mm -hmm. 
truly, because to be with the, the wrong therapist who is not legitimately qualified to help you can, in my experience, make things yes. worse rather than yeah. better. And that is not the point. And like, you know, so sometimes people really want to use their insurance to pay for therapy. And sometimes, you know, there are financial considerations but health insurance pays for medically necessary treatment of a psychiatric diagnosis. It does not pay for relational counseling for the purpose of improving a relationship. So if you want to use your insurance, it means that somebody in there has a psychiatric disorder and that the therapist is saying, we are providing treatment for the identified patient's psychiatric condition. This is not to make you guys improve your communication and like each mm -hmm. other more. It's a totally different thing. And so one of the things that I think can be an obstacle to people getting good help is, you know, feeling beholden to, to working with somebody who is in network with their insurance company. It is a totally different experience. And to consider, you know, the, the value and what it's worth to be strengthening your family and improving these situations and to be taking your time and finding somebody who is really good. Right. And I want to add to that. There yeah. are some companies that have an employee assistance program mm -hmm. where you get yeah. so many visits to a therapist or a mm -hmm. counselor or whatever, mm -hmm. and you pay the $20 copay or something like that. But then mm -hmm. after that, it does fall out of your insurance. Mm -hmm. There are also therapists that do sliding scales. Absolutely. We do that at our practice, income-based sliding yes. scales. So mm -hmm. just because it's expensive, don't let that deter you from getting help because there's help out there that will oh, fit yeah. your needs. Mm -hmm. But but you have to dig for it a little bit. Not all therapists are the same. And so expect that you're going to have to interview a few. Yeah. Well, well, and I know people were thinking, mm -hmm. sorry, David. I know people are thinking, yeah. I don't have time to go to one therapy appointment, much less interview five. If you care about your relationship yeah. and, and yourself, I mean, this is self-care, mm -hmm. then yeah, totally. you are willing to put that work in to go to these five therapists to see which one suits you. And when I say mm -hmm. suits you, I don't mean... <laughs> <laughs> that tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> right. That just yeah. tells you what you want to hear or vindicates your bad actions. Mm -hmm. But look for that person. Put the work in because this person can make or break you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned they need to ask open-ended questions because if you just walk in and say, you do understand step family are different, right? Yep. And they just go, yes, yep. I do. Mm -hmm. That's not very helpful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I want to reiterate what you said. It has to be open-ended mm -hmm. questions. You want to hear that feedback. Mm -hmm. They truly understand the differences between yeah. Uh, step family, nuclear family. Some people prescribe to the notion that I only want to deal with a therapist that is in a blended family, or, or you know, they they've experienced oh. that. Which I don't necessarily disagree with it, but at the same time, everybody can't have experienced something in order to also help you with it. And their experience <laughs> might have been great. It's like somebody said one time. You mm -hmm. you know, if you're if you're going to therapy for suicide, the therapist, you can't go to every therapist to try to commit suicide to get help. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I hear you. And, and you know, when, when I hear that, what I, what I hear in there is this almost anxiety, like, will this person understand me? Am I going to be valued? Are they going to see my perspective or am I going to be 
judged or are they not going to understand me? Because it's really Mm -hmm. scary, you know, to go and, and talk with somebody. But I think honestly, like, even though certainly to have empathy and to be able to understand somebody's life experience can be a real strength. A true professional counselor is going to be leaving all of their life experiences at the door because we're not there to talk about them. I mean, I would actually say that a, a red flag for a therapist is somebody who talks a lot about their their own family experiences or blended family experiences. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, because the the risk on the other side is that you're going to be dealing with a therapist who doesn't have good boundaries and who is assuming that your experience is just like mm-hmm. theirs rather than taking a stance of curiosity to really understand the you know what your side of the table looks like and feels like that is the job of a counselor is not to be understood but to understand and also you know if you're interviewing therapists and you don't feel that way that that's an important sign that you're probably not with the right person whether or not they've had a similar life experience I don't know if we told you how bad we Mm -hmm. were when we went to see Mr. Butler and you know I was physically sick I was mentally crazy Um, David (laughs) (laughs) but honestly if Mr. Butler would have said Lori you just need to love them more you would have checked out. I, I might have it checked have out in so a bad invalidating. way. It would have felt invalidating. Right. I yeah. would have gotten in the car and been like, great, somebody else that thinks that I'm doing everything wrong or I'm I'm the reason right. things are the way they are and I can't do anything right and I can't make myself love these kids. And then they go with that spiral. Yeah. And it can easily mm-hmm. spiral into suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The world would be better off without me. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm so c- glad that you connected with a good therapist who was genuinely able to help he you. He knew I was hard-headed. That's what That's helped. That's a gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew we had to say that so many times to me. Lori, they are not your kids. Mm-hmm. 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 But we yeah. do see it in our Facebook group a lot where, you know, people are told, you just need to love them more. You just need to treat them like your own. Don't use the word step in your home because it's bad. It's reality, and that it annoys me so much because they're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I completely yeah. agree. It, it turns into this this chorus, this narrative, if you will, in the larger culture around well, what what's wrong mm-hmm. with you? Yeah. You know, and and it is not the same situation. If if it is helpful for your listeners, I did put together an article. It's a, like how to find a marriage counselor that just has information about qualifications and like what the different uh, modalities are and like questions to ask. And if if it's helpful, I'm I'm glad to share it for your listeners just so they can, you know, I think just to make like informed choices. I think, I think too often in these situations, especially, you know, because there can be a power dynamic when you, when you go to get help, you go to talk to the doctor, well, they must know what they're doing, right? So we kind of hand over the keys and and I think lose our power to be like, no, I have the right to ask questions. And particularly with things like therapy, which is a, it's a soft science. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's no regulation like the way there is with medical professionals around the kind of things that therapists mm-hmm. are doing. It's vital that, that people seeking help are, are doing so from a place of 
empowerment and and information. Right. Yeah. I think one of yeah. the toughest yeah. places that I've seen people is when they have a very different opinion of of what the step family should be doing and they go to a, a counselor mm-hmm. or a therapist and that counselor or therapist sides with one or the other mm-hmm. person. And so for just for example, you know, I'm telling the story and Lori's telling her story mm-hmm. and then the therapist is like, "Well, David's absolutely right." And I and I can see exactly where he's coming from and and Lori, you should blah blah and, and it's like I feel I like I'm looking, person. yeah, because <laughs> I'm looking at him going, "This is the best counselor ever," and yeah. she's like, "I'm ready to find another one." Um, and it's you know it, yeah. that's a tough spot to be in, and we've seen a lot of couples that they say that where it's like, I, "Oh gosh, yeah, you know, my husband loves them to death. I hate them." <laughs> but again, think think about the fact that probably ninety five percent of therapists providing couples and family therapy are not marriage and family therapists. Mm. They're LPCs, they're LCSWs, they're licensed psychologists, and and the hallmark that you are not with an MFT is a therapist who is identifying one of you as being the problem because that is what they were trained to do is a diagnosis and treatment of mental health conditions. So Lori is agitated and angry. Well, let's talk about Lori's anxiety and mood disorder because clearly that's, you know, what I told you. I I told you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but so, but so a marriage and family therapist with that systemic perspective. So my client is not either one of you. It is your relationship. It is a space in between you. And so an MFT does not look at at one or the other or try because you know it's it's just a totally different modality and so if you are with a counselor who is sort of feeling unbalanced it means that you're probably with somebody who's not qualified to help yeah, you i think one of the yeah truly one of my more favorite questions is when people come to us for coaching is that you know they'll one of them usually takes the lead i don't know how about about your clients, but typically there's one that talks mm-hmm. more. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> but they're, you know, they explain this problem, and it's usually it's usually the problem that it's the other person's creating is you know the way mm-hmm. they explain it. And so I'll often say, so what role are you playing in this problem? And it's like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> How dare you, David Sims? Like, no, what role are yep. you playing? Because you're playing a role in it. Mm-hmm. You might not realize yeah. that. You might have to go back and think about that some and come back next week. But you are playing a role mm-hmm. in this problem. <laughs> Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, and I guess a question for you is something that I'm I'm curious about. So I know that you guys do a lot of coaching with couples and families. How how do you determine, you know, sort of the the lines between when, you know, you're you're working with a couple or family system and it's coaching appropriate, right? Versus a situation where like, okay, so we're we're being like quasi marriage and family therapists right now and this this family probably should be in therapy rather than coaching do you have like an an assessment process for that or is, is it kind of on a case by case it's case by case mm-hmm. we had this one couple mm-hmm. that after talking to them it wasn't one on one coaching it was our q and a session mm-hmm. in our academy mm-hmm. yeah. but we knew we knew we couldn't help them and mm-hmm. we knew that their problems were deeper than blended family issues. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, immediately after our call, I sent her a message and I said, we appreciate you being on the call, but we really think that you should yeah. seek a licensed marriage therapist to discuss these issues. 
Mm-hmm. And, Got it. you know, sometimes a lot of people will think the blended family issue is the issue, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And so once mm-hmm. we see that it's not a blended family issue, I mean, yes, we can give some guidance on marriage mm-hmm. things. Well, no, I, I, I think understand. we're really good about mm-hmm. staying in our lane. Like we, we understand mm-hmm. where we can help and where we can't. We don't try to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. We can help everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're mm-hmm. really good about understanding that and then pointing people to other resources. That's like, um, we, that's good. That's ethical. Yeah, we mm-hmm. don't have, neither one of us have good co-parenting relationships with our ex. Yep. So we are not the people to talk to about co-parenting. Mm-hmm. But we work yeah. with other step family coaches mm-hmm. that that is their mm-hmm. strength or their focus. Mm-hmm. focus. And so we will refer people to them if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's you brought really up good. something a minute ago mm-hmm. about researching to find a therapist. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I spent five hours researching which air fryer was the best. <laughs> <laughs> How many people do the same thing? But like you said, when they look for a therapist, it's, oh, look, Dr. Lisa's 0.5 miles down the road. She has evening sessions. This is her. You spent Mm -hmm. two minutes looking for Dr. Lisa, Mm -hmm. but you spent Mm -hmm. five hours looking for an air fryer. Mm -hmm. That is an excellent point. I think we all do that. Totally. Well, and at the end again, I think it's it's easy to assume that people have credentials and that it's all the yes. same. Yeah. Well, you don't understand that. Like, like I'm, I come from the IT world, and we have a lot of acronyms. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because within within our world, we have tons of certifications and and all this kind of stuff. I can put all these things on my website, and unless you're in IT, you're not going to know what they are. They mm-hmm. mean nothing to you. Totally. And it's kind of the mm-hmm. same in other areas. Like if if you come up and you start throwing all these acronyms, I'm an MFT. Mm-hmm. Well, what is what is that? I have, what does yeah. that mean? Okay, I'm a yeah, I'm a marriage exactly. and family therapist. Okay, great. I still don't know what mm-hmm. that means. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's. It's yeah. good when you can sit down with somebody and just have that conversation. I'm glad you have these mm-hmm. acronyms and I'm glad you have things in front of your name and behind your name and all that, but I don't mm-hmm. know what any of that means and how does it apply to me? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And how can you help me? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. How can you help me? At the end of the day, that's the question. Exactly. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Can you yes. help me? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I could keep talking to you forever. <laughs> I know. She I say start, that to everybody, but I I really mean it. She's gonna start charging you. You better yeah. hurry. <laughs> uh, no, no. This you guys are so much fun to talk to. You are so cute. Well, thank you. I'm sure we would love to have you back on in the future. Maybe we could sometime next year have you back on as an anniversary of your first time being a guest or something. Yeah. Aww. I'd be happy to visit with you guys anytime. Yeah, yeah anything that would be helpful to your yeah. listeners. Well, lo- location wise, where are you if people? You know, or close if they're 0.5 miles down oh. the road and they want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, our our practice is is based in Colorado, so we have offices like in the Denver metro area. But but our practice has has grown quite a bit over the years, and so we now have, I think, you know, fifty some counselors wow. running around. I know it's crazy, and and we have people licensed in many different states. We have people in Canada. We have somebody in Australia awesome. even. So. Yeah, it's it's and and so again for therapy situations obviously we need to be connected with a licensed therapist but we do also you know provide relationship coaching services that you know sometimes uh, can can work mm-hmm. 
without that that licensure requirement. So, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. But 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 Denver ish, if you mm-hmm. want to come in person. I've got some relatives that are moving next year to Colorado, and I think mm-hmm. near Denver. So if we get out that way, oh, yeah. I'll let you know. Oh, that would be so yeah. fun to get together. I'd love that. I live north of of Denver, but I would come down okay. and see you. Sweet. Well, yeah. tell us again where people can find you. Oh, thank you. So um, Growing Self Counseling and Coaching is our practice. So growingself.com. We have a very active blog. We also do the Love, Happiness, and Success podcast where David and Lori were featured guests. And on a podcast, you know, we have all kinds of stuff. So Love, Happiness, and Success. So certainly relationships, couples, parenting, families, long-distance relationships, uh, but we also do a lot around personal growth and individual therapy. And also we do uh, career coaching and professional development. That's where the success piece comes oh, in. Oh, awesome. So we have a lot of resources there for you. You're yeah. just a one-stop shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but only for those yes, things. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff that we don't yeah. do. And so, and I and I think we're good at at being able to figure out, okay, what what do people need? And then like you mm-hmm. guys do, you know, re- right. redirect them. So basically, if, if you don't want yeah. love or happiness or success, don't listen. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but like, you know, so like a, a, a clinic, like a more serious, like clinical mental health mm-hmm. issue, you know, people should really go with somebody who specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of like that kind of con- condition. And so in our practice, it's really relational, it's personal growth and its career. So, but, you know, we can always visit and have a free consultation to help figure out what it is that you need, right? right? And, and provide referrals. Okay. And if you can um, shoot me a link for the questionnaire that you have to finding a therapist oh, or whatever. Yeah. It's an, an article. article. Yeah. yeah, it's an article and I'll be happy to send that over to you or try to remember to do that. I'll link to it in the show notes. Yes, I will. Awesome. Right. Thank you again. Okay. Yes, thank you again. As always, great to see you. It's a pleasure. So, David, we do have something special we need to talk about today. All right. As we wrap up, this will air on November the 11th. (sighs) Happy Veterans Day. It's the day after baby Gideon's birthday. Oh, yeah, well, that too. (laughs) So, baby Gideon, if you ever listen to this, happy birthday to you, sweet boy. We love you. Yep, one year old. One year old. Or is it one year old? (laughs) One year, year. (laughs) But yes, that and I also want to shout out to all the veterans. You know, my three of my sons are veterans. My dad's a veteran. So lots of people in my family are veterans. Shout out Mm -hmm. to all of them. Thanks for your service. Yes, thank you very much. Because I ain't going nowhere. I couldn't make it through basic training, and that was before I was fat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so what else we got going on? Oh, Thanksgiving's coming up. And just a little reminder, be thankful. mm -hmm. I remember my mom, y'all, I got to tell you this story, and I know I make my mom sound horrible, but she would cook Thanksgiving, and she was angry. (laughs) <laughs> because she had to get up 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever it was in the morning, and start cooking the turkey and cook all this food. And you spend seven, eight hours prepping for it. You eat for an hour, and then you got seven, eight more hours of cleaning up time. Yeah, by the time you 
time to sit down and eat, you're like, I'm not even hungry. <laughs> if you're one of these people that get frustrated having to cook and stuff, don't do it. Meat tray. Exactly. <laughs> there are many options. Let that day be a day you are thankful for and spend time with your family. Yep. I agree. All right. We talked a lot in the beginning, so we're summing it up now. That's right. And I can sum it all up by saying, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.